0: Welcome back to Streamageddon, the podcast where we try and fail to watch everything on the streaming universe. I'm your host, Chris Barlow, and I am joined, as always, by Diane Nora. Hello, Diane.
1: Hi, it's great to be back.
0: It is great to be back for a second whole episode. We are really making a podcast.
1: Oh, yeah. Burning right through it.
0: In, in fact, you know uh, how this is a podcast now. Uh, we have follow-up. This is amazing. I don't even have a jingle for follow-up yet because it hadn't occurred to me how soon this would become real. Uh, So we're going to start with follow-up, we'll get to the news, and then this week's review, which is of a show I am obsessed with a little bit, called Abbott Elementary.
1: I've seen every episode three times minimum, so...
0: Oh my god, you just put me to shame. You're the true super fan here. Uh,
1: Let's follow up the follow-up.
0: Well, follow up, uh, we'll begin with follow up on last week's episode. Last week, you might recall, we uh, watched a show called Yellowstone.
1: I don't think I'll ever forget it.
0: Wow, it really left an impression. That is something. <laughs> well, then you're going to be thrilled to find out, Diane. Yellowstone has been renewed for season five on the Paramount Network.
1: I'm, I'm just falling more and more behind. Uh,
0: you, you have so much catching up to do. This is going to be a real task for you now.
1: Especially when I have so much of the current show we're reviewing to watch for potentially a fourth time. Yeah,
0: that's fair. That's fair. (laughs) Well, you know, I just wanted to share the good news with all the new Yellowstone fans we created last week. I'm sure there's one of them. Uh, But that's not the only follow-up. We have more follow-up. So Mm -hmm. as you might remember, last week's episode, uh, we talked about Netflix's price hike. And one of the anecdotes, anecdata, I shared was a friend of mine who is going to be canceling his own Netflix account and switching to his wife's family's Netflix account. They are regressing, going back to the shared family account. And he listened to the episode. He remains anonymous, but he listened to the episode and shared a little bit more about their streaming universe. And I thought this was interesting because I'm curious uh, if this feels... Like it might be a common trend in millennial mm-hmm. and Gen Z streaming habits. Uh, so let me just read you uh, some bullet points here. Uh, his wife pays for Netflix, but they're going to be switching back to, I'm sorry, his parents. So uh, they're moving from paying for their own to going on the parents' Netflix. Then his wife pays for Hulu via, you will enjoy this, Diane, via Spotify.
1: Oof, 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 oof. The same. I was there
0: crazy deal you have they are rocking that so they get uh hulu through spotify and then that also gives his parents access to hulu so they're doing a little share back and forth it's mm-hmm. a little uh you know uh, give a little take a little and then then her his wife's parents have verizon unlimited which gives them disney plus and then his parents have Comcast as a cable provider in another state, which gives them Peacock Premium. And then their Comcast package includes HBO, which they use to log into HBO Max. And, of course, they have Amazon Prime for buying stuff on Amazon. So that's how they watch those.
1: I I would love to hear, like, a breakdown of what they're actually watching.
0: That's true. Like, when you have everything available if you, you don't think about the value of it. Would I actually pay for one of these services individually? Would I pay for Hulu by itself if I wasn't getting it through my spouse's Spotify? Or would I pay for Peacock Premium if I wasn't getting it through my parents? And boy, would I pay for Peacock Premium is just a loaded phrase right there. <laughs> I do not want to really unpack that. Uh, so I, I thought that was interesting. Do you have friends in your life who have similar cobbled-together streaming packages?
1: Oh yeah, I mean, I I have a, a cobbled together situation um, between. So I I do use my sister and brother in law's Disney Plus um, when when I do log on to Disney Plus, which someday I'm gonna watch those Star Wars shows. I keep telling myself. Sure, um, sure, sure. Yeah, um, and, and you know it's fun for the for the Marvel stuff, um, and then uh, Netflix. We we have an account that is a family account, and it, we there are five different logins for it once you are on the Netflix. Right. So, like, I have it, my own page on Netflix. But technically, my dad pays for Netflix. I pay for Hulu. My sister pays for Disney Plus, And HBO Max is through my parents' cable. So, cobbled. The millennial life.
0: Truly, truly. I, uh, I am not going to divulge what I do and don't pay for <laughs> because someone will listen to this and realize that they've given me a login that I'm still using and they might ask for it back and I don't want to give up my ad-free Hulu, Sophie. Oh. Anyway, that is just one of our three follow-up topics. Count them, three follow-up topics. We have one more follow-up topic and it's, of course, about our, our favorite uh, Peacock-related service, Peacock. Because last week, you know, we we confirmed that we Peacock Peacock. And so I'm here to say we can Peacock the Olympics on Peacock if we have Peacock Premium.
1: Oh, so I thought I I know there is like an Olympics channel on Peacock, right? That is showing.
0: That sounds like something Peacock would do. Yes.
1: (laughs) So the free peacock version does not include the olympics
0: correct free peacock only includes clips and highlights i am reading from a verge article which will be linked in the show notes free tier will have clips and highlights those who want a more in-depth look of the games including full event replays and live coverage need either peacock premium or my favorite word salad peacock premium plus
1: full event replays, does that mean that the full events are playing once? I think they're being awfully cagey I think
0: that means on demand, because of course if you have, like, any cable package, if you have not even a Comcast-affiliated cable, if you just have Spectrum uh, here in New York, you can probably watch on NBC Sports, which is a a network, a channel you are apparently paying for if you have cable, or the NBC Sports app, which is not part of Peacock, that is a separate app called NBC Sports, or on a variety of uh, websites, apparently NBCOlympics.com, NBCSports.com. There's just so many confusing venues, and where you choose to watch depends on your level of Peacock, or lack wonder, thereof.
1: Sure. I wonder how many people will just, for the sake of simplicity, give up and just pay for it so that they can Get not- it. Yeah. I
0: mean that's what Peacock would like. Peacock would like to wet your appetite with a, a highlight sizzle reel of curling, and then you realize to watch the live events, you've got a pony up for premium.
1: I think they overestimate how much I care about curling, but that may just be me.
0: That that may just be you. I hear curling <laughs> is big on C N B C, which I think is a great branding choice. <laughs> the C is for curling, right? <sighs>
1: Right. It, honestly, if we just had like a, a curling network, I think that's where we're going.
0: I would watch that. Absolutely. That would get me back into the cable bundle. If you told me in my package of 200 channels, there was just an all curling, all the time network.
1: Why would you ever cut the cord?
0: I No, never.
1: <laughs> never.
0: <laughs> I mean, until they make Curling Plus the streaming service. And I'm a cord cutter again.
1: Curling Premium Plus, ad free.
0: I can't wait for it. But you know what else I can't wait for? Mm. The news. That is what we call a good segue. Thank you very much. I can hear your applause (laughs) out in the the podcast universe. Uh, We have a lot of news, not as much as last week, which was a truly torrential downpour of news. This week, we have a few very interesting stories, one of which unfortunately involves Rudy Giuliani, but we will get there. We will get there. Embracing myself. I know. I know. First, first something warm and lighthearted. Your Amazon Prime subscription. You feel good about that, unless you feel really bad about it. You probably feel conflicted about your Amazon Prime subscription if you're like me. But it includes video.
1: This week, it's not the subscription I feel the worst in my life about. So, hey, you know, you know I'll take
0: it. Every week you got to rank the the corporate subscriptions you're tied to and figure out which ones are really eating away at your soul and which you're kind of ambivalent towards right now.
1: So this new Amazon Prime is going up annually too.
0: It is going up to 139 a year from 119 a year, which I, I to be honest, it took this news story for me to realize it was over 100 a year by now. I thought it was still mm-hmm. like I, in my brain, it's been $80 a year forever. But no, it, it, it's it gone up several times now to $140 a year, which is $12 a month if I can do math in my head.
1: That's significant.
0: It's not you nothing. Know? It does yeah. make me stop and think how much value is the free shipping for me. Right. Do you know what it does not make me think? What? It, it does not make me think, oh, I wonder how much value the streaming options on Amazon are worth to me. Because they are worth nothing to me.
1: Are There are no, you have nothing in your...
0: N- nothing. Repertory. I'm, I'm okay. sure you will find a show that I, I will then put my foot in my mouth. But it has been a while since there has been a show on Amazon that I'm like, oh, I, l- I have to see it, or I love it, or I can't wait to go back and watch it.
1: I'm going to watch the new season of Maisel. But the seasons have gotten progressively less urgent for me to see
0: less Uh, urgent is a very diplomatic way of saying that i appreciate
1: that uh but i'm going to watch it yeah yeah and if
0: if they came out and they were like you remember the man in the high castle we've just decided to do another season of it which would be terrible based on how that show ended but if they went for it i'd be like yeah i'll tune in because just the set pieces were great
1: Mm. i only made it through the pilot oh maybe i need to jump back in I don't know it's
0: interesting i don't know if it's good interesting but it's always interesting and it has steven root for a while and i am a sucker for anything steven root is in you'll have to get to those disney star wars shows because steven root is in one episode and i'm not going to tell you which show or which episode you're just going to have to watch them all until you get that sweet sweet hit of root
1: until root premium plus exists i guess this is my fate
0: Root Premium Plus would be all reruns of news radio all day long, and I, oh, I would pay in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Okay, we, we've avoided it long enough. I have no choice but to take us to our Rudy Giuliani-related story. I, it pains me. It pains my soul. Uh, and yet, here we are. Let's continue. Do you know what this story is, Diane?
1: I do. I, um... You just don't
0: want been... to. I can see the look on your face. It's fine. It's fine.
1: I've been handling the waves of exhaustion and nausea since I heard, um, since my initial exposure. And um, I, I guess this is the world we live in now, that Rudy Giuliani was on the Masked Singer. And uh, we don't
0: even know which mask he was wearing yet, because Deadline won't tell us.
1: Wow. Um, it shows where their loyalties lie, I suppose.
0: Truly, their loyalties lie with the big reveal next month on The Masked Singer. So, of course, if if you have not heard this story, what we learned from Deadline.com this week, link in the show notes, uh, we learned that uh, Rudy Giuliani is appearing on season seven of The Masked Singer, which is traumatizing because it means we're in the seventh season of The Masked <laughs> Singer. We'll start there. Uh, and what we learned is that when he was revealed, which we are yet to see because this is not yet aired on TV— Uh, Hosts Ken Jeong and Robin Thicke walked off the stage in protest, essentially, which is just amazing because, once again, I'm reminded there's a TV show co-hosted by Ken Jeong and Robin Thicke.
1: I believe the other co-hosts this season, too, are uh, Nicole Scherzinger and Jenny McCarthy.
0: That sounds right. Mm -hmm.
1: Which isn't helping.
0: No, none of this is helping anyone.
1: Robin Thicke apparently has has a bar that who knew (laughs) this is
0: the real headline story here. We learned where the red line is for Robin Thicke and I am I'm surprised.
1: Though uh, apparently that line was blurred because I do believe they came back on stage.
0: They did. They did. They did. Someone backstage went you get paid by this network to sit out there. You need to go back out there. And they went, Okay. Okay. you're right. You're right. Let's see who's under Money. the the next next mask. Uh, which, uh, speaking of the masks, uh, this is the part I have to get to. The theme of this season of The Masked Singer is the good, the bad, and the cuddly. We'll link link to the trailer in the show notes because I just, if you really want to feel the torture of uh, modern competition TV, you can just watch this ninety second trailer and uh, stare in wonder, uh, because we get to see each of the six costumed competitors, and so I, I just want to list them for you, Diane, and I want you to tell me which one do you think is most likely to be Rudy Giuliani, okay? So first, we have the good, which are a frog prince and some kind of sexy moth. I don't know why moths are good. I It's pretty definitely a moth, hard to tell, but oh, okay, I think it's sexy moth. Then we have the bad. The bad are a, like, furry green cyclops and then like a minotaur. Just the guy who looks like a metal-plated minotaur, which is terrifying. Uh, And then the cuddly. The cuddly are a a rabbit dressed as an astronaut. I just want you to put put the layers Mm -hmm. together there. A human dressed as a rabbit dressed as an astronaut. And then another... Yeah, it is, right? Layers. (laughs) Uh, And another sexy animal, a leggy lemur.
1: Just trying to think which one of those... Characters would be most likely to marry their cousin, and uh, none of them is jumping out. Um,
0: and, uh, maybe they do that in like lemurs in lemur communities. He's I'm he's ho- cross dressed before, so the sexy legging thing that could be him.
1: Mm-hmm. I- I'm hoping that they put him in the bad, uh, if they- since they included him at all. Um, and then I'm really concerned about who the other person is um yeah
0: it makes me wonder on that show do the other competitors know who the other competitors are do they just think they're on stage with a, a space-bound rabbit or do they know mm-hmm. that the space-bound rabbit is rudolph giuliani
1: can't we just have olivia nuzzi ask him
0: because that that <laughs> I, I don't would read think that he's
1: great with secrets
0: no I, I we must know by the time honestly there's probably a, con- a contract penalty if you reveal who you were before the show airs. So maybe this is one secret Rudy can keep.
1: You know, I am I'm I'm proud of myself for not watching this show.
0: Me too. Me too. And yet, uh, we might have to circle back to this and follow up when we find out which mask is hiding Rudy.
1: We'll do it for you.
0: You, the listener. <laughs> you, the listener, who might appreciate us changing topic and talking about our uh, last category of news here, Netflix news, because there's always Netflix news. And this, uh, you know, I prefer, I prefer the short form, I prefer the TV, and yet Netflix has made a big name for itself with movies, and they announced their big flashy 2022 movie slate, which I feel like they should have done before the investor call where they said growth would slow down, because it made everyone think that they didn't have a lot coming this year, but now everyone's really excited about this 2022 movie slate. So anyway, what's in the 2022 movie slate? Uh, Knives Out 2, and Ooh. 21 other movies. And that's all that matters to me. Uh, anything that caught your eye?
1: Um, I mean, no. The thing is that I, I, I really don't watch movies at home. I watch TV. Yeah. I want to watch movies in the movie theater, and there might be a movie that would compel me to um, stream
0: but, but I'm tough. probably
1: going to turn it off and, and watch a TV show.
0: Yeah, like halfway through, I'm going I'm to get tired of it. And I'm going to just put on a rerun of Abbott Elementary.
1: And even if I end up watching that for three to four hours, it will feel like I've made less of a commitment than watching one feature film.
0: I agree. I agree. Although it's interesting that you mentioned preferring to see movies in the theater. Uh, because when I said that Netflix is releasing 22 movies this year, I, I was lying. I was low-balling it. Do you want to know how many movies Netflix is actually releasing this year? Give it to me. 86. What? 86 movies. And this is uh, some math according to a tweet from Julia Alexander. She's a, an analyst in the streaming industry. Uh, we'll link to the tweet in the show notes. Uh, she says, Netflix will release more movies in 2022 than the six major studios will theatrically combined. And the numbers that she highlights, Netflix, 86 releases, Universal, 27, Warner Brothers, 12, Sony, 12, Disney, 11, including six from 20th century, they're, you know, formerly Fox, and then Paramount, 9. Hmm. Netflix is just spraying us with movies. 86 movies means more than one a week. And I'm sure, like, 30 of them are bad Christmas movies that will come out between October and, you know, December 15th. Oh,
1: those I will watch. Those those (laughs) are
0: probably the best ones. And Knives Out too.
1: If 82 of them were Princess Switch sequels, I would watch 82 films on Uh Netflix this year.
0: Yes. I'd be fine with that. And it does show Netflix really plays the numbers game. We know that in general, but especially with movies where people are either going to watch it or not. There's no coming back for season two, unless it's the Princess Mm -hmm. Switch, and then there's coming back every year for another one. But it doesn't have the longevity in the conversation. People watch it once. Maybe they watch it again some other time, but it only lasts two hours, and then they move on to watching something else. Mm -hmm. And so in order to get a higher hit ratio, essentially, they just flood the zone. You look at uh, Don't Look Up, which was, you know, not everyone's favorite movie, to put it kindly, but the controversy over opinions about that movie kept it in the zeitgeist longer than, say, Red Notice, which was their big action movie of last year that people talked about for approximately three days before they moved on to watching something else.
1: Which was obscenely expensive. Yes. Yes though i think that also they realized at some point and this was a good bar, a, a good bet that um don't look up would do better than red notice and so they swapped them because uh they put red notice out of the christmas slot and put don't look up into it
0: yeah and i think because... i think that was a good move
1: yeah it seems to have paid off for them i suppose
0: Okay, one, one more Netflix-related tangential option here. Uh, small new update in your Netflix universe that might change your life if you're me. Netflix has finally added an option to remove shows from your uh, now-watching queue on all devices. So finally, on your TV, you can remove a show that you are not watching anymore, so you will no longer be haunted by a tile that says Emily in Paris.
1: (laughs) Uh, No, because it will be in Watch Again?
0: (laughs) Probably. Yes. Thank you for ruining my enthusiasm over that. I hadn't thought enough of the steps through. I can just never scroll down to that next row.
1: I, uh, I I didn't know that that was something that you could do, that you could remove things from that. And uh, wait, so is that available now or is that coming yeah. soon?
0: Apparently everywhere.
1: Wow. Maybe, maybe my Netflix homepage is going to get less embarrassing.
0: Yeah. There's nothing more personal than opening up my Netflix homepage. I don't want anyone around when I do it.
1: No. Oh no. Under no circumstances.
0: But you know which homepage I do want people to see so I can just brag about my favorite show? My Hulu homepage, because Hulu is where I'm currently watching a little show we're going to talk about this week called Abbott Elementary. You like that? A little taste of the 12-second opening theme song of Abbott Elementary, which has a, a really, truly charming opening sequence.
1: It sets you up for fun, and it delivers.
0: What more could you ask for in a 30-minute sitcom? So as we get into this, we should tell you, we're about to talk about the first five episodes of Abbott Elementary, a 30-minute sitcom that airs on ABC. You can stream it on Hulu. I think if you are a spoiler-averse, you should listen to this conversation anyway, because you're going to hear how great this show is, and you're going to want to go watch it. But if you truly want to savor every surprise that this network sitcom has uh, hiding inside of it, just pause, go watch a couple episodes, come on back and join us.
1: Um, I don't think it's one of those shows, too, that really the plot is what you're tuning in for. No. But the plot is lovely.
0: Yes, you're tuning in for the characters. It is, to me, a great example of an old-fashioned a network sitcom in the best possible way because what do I like about this show I love the characters I love the dynamic I love that every week they're going to struggle to overcome some little obstacle in their lives as teachers at this public school in Philadelphia and it's going to be a little charming and a little funny and a little now we haven't gotten really sad yet but I'm sure they'll pull our heartstrings at some point
1: Yeah, I mean, and obviously, so dealing with uh, teachers at this school, they almost every episode addresses the fact that they're dealing with underfunding and their students might not have all the resources that the teachers would hope, especially uh, Quinta Brunson, who is um, the show's creator and uh, the lead character on it, um, that she really is always advocating for her kids to get more resources. Um, But Even with that, there's never any feeling of like, after school special, we're going to manipulate your emotional response to these kids not getting everything. Um, In fact, they actually subvert that a few times uh, in a way that I found really refreshing and avoiding a lot of sitcom cliches, particularly for network.
0: Yeah, I agree. It is... Uh, Both structurally a total example of the classic network sitcom, but tonally and in terms of the way it handles its themes, it's much more subversive and modern, uh, which is such a great combination.
1: I Yes, I really enjoy it. And I have to say, I like classic structure i really think it works i know that more and more shows particularly comedies i feel like you're they're getting uh longer um you're seeing these like 50 minute episodes of shows like ted lasso um and i just i feel like they're sagging i'm like i I don't know there's something about the uh economy of you know a 24 minute sitcom that just you know fills you with jokes that's just really satisfying to watch
0: yeah it reminds you that every scene can be funny and have jokes in it but also every line of dialogue has a purpose in the episode there is no wasted dialogue in a show like this Every single little scene pays off in some little way or big way later in the episode because they do not have a spare second for a throwaway joke that does not at least somehow relate to the main crisis or the main tension of the episode.
1: So satisfying.
0: You mentioned the show is created by Quinta Brunson. Uh, there's a fantastic profile of her in Vulture from New York Magazine that we'll link to in the show notes where you can get a bit about what she wanted to bring to the genre. Because their headline on it is, I'm paraphrasing, basically like Gwenta Brunson's making uh, the network sitcom cool again. And she is. But what's really fun about it from uh, the uh, perspective that she brings in the article is she really fought to have uh, other actors who were not big stars cast as the rest of the main characters. And so there is no... Steve Carell as Michael Scott to hook you Mm -hmm. in the cast list. The biggest name in the cast list is Quinta Brunson, who if you don't know her from like TikTok or a black lady sketch show, you'd have no idea uh, that she has, you know, an existing career of really great comedy.
1: Totally. You know what? I didn't know that I knew her. And then, but then I watched the Pilot and I was like, oh, you know, I, I know I know this face. And then when I read the profile, I realized that I had seen a bunch of her videos that she had made with BuzzFeed um, and just like other things on social media. So she is one of those people who's just sort of like permeated our memes over the past few years. But not a huge recognizable network TV name yet, though. Now she is.
0: Though I think this is doing good things for her. I do. I do. And I think, <laughs> and I think it shows because she's all you know. She's a creator. She's the star, and she's clearly guided the the tone of the show. Uh, what I think is really great is that extends to the format, which uh, we're now going to get into my my personal feelings. It is a mockumentary. It is framed as a news crew making a documentary about inner city schools with poor funding, essentially. And and much like The Office, or at least until the end of The Office, we never meet the documentarians. They're just acknowledged by the, the cast. But the way that it's directed and shot and the amount of thought that goes into the little looks that the characters give the cameramen – and, and the amount of personality and moments they build out for that to really add some so it's great it adds uh, funny beats and funny buttons on scenes but it also makes the mockumentary format feel lived in instead of kind of just thrown on top so that they can talk to the camera sometimes and I personally can't stand most mockumentary sitcoms these days not that not that there are a lot on TV right now but I think, I think a lot about later seasons of Modern Family where you have no idea why Anyone's talking to the camera anymore, or who let who's mm. filming anything? What it at a certain point when a show runs long enough with that format, you either have to do something with the documentary format, or you just ignore it and pretend like, yeah, people just talk to the camera sometimes. And I I I find that maddening as a purist.
1: I uh, Parks and Recreation handled it well, like that um, that it was able to use that form successfully. But I just am also someone who I want my sitcoms to have lots of jokes in them. And so I think that one thing that I found really fun about this show is that like there'll be a moment where you, you have a joke and then you have the joke elevated and then you get that satisfying rule of threes punchline in in the mockumentary bit um, that is just lightning quick, um, that even if it's not the most traditional structure, it's also, um, it is in terms of like the, it's like a traditional joke structure, even if it's a mockumentary form.
0: Yeah, it lets them have that heightened joke structure without making the actual scene over the top. So you'll have something that actually feels like it really would be out of a moment in the teacher's lounge at a public school where people are, you know, talking about the, the sexy vending machine restocker guy. <laughs> and then the, the third punchline, so to speak, is in a cutaway to Melissa Chimenti talking to the camera or something like that.
1: So oh, great.
0: And I do think—we're right. talking about the cast a bit—the uh, structure of the, the cast of characters. You have uh, Quinta as uh, Janine Teagues, who is a second-grade teacher in her second year of teaching. And then there's uh, another teacher played by Chris Profetti in his second year of teaching. And they're the two who made it through their first year. And they set up uh, in the pilot that most uh, teachers, especially at, like, public schools— they, they burn out fast and that's real mm. which is also part of what kind of grounds you in those characters as you know they're they're trying their hardest they're trying to stick it out and then you have two seasoned veterans so you have uh, barbara howard who just has the the most calming voice i want to do her voice when i say her name barbara howard
1: played by the great Lee ralph who has one of the most fantastic singing voices I've ever heard. She's also a Broadway legend. So, uh,
0: To be honest, the one one little detail sometimes it gets me where I love it, but I'm like, would this character really dress like that? Is that Barbara Howard sometimes dresses like a Broadway legend. mm -hmm. (laughs) Every now and then they will cut to her in some fur coat. And I'm like, where did you get that fur coat? And why are you wearing it on this like 50 degree day? But you know what? It works.
1: I'm here for it.
0: <laughs> I I wouldn't be surprised if they were like, she brought the coat with her and we just couldn't say no. And I'd be like, you made the right call. You don't say no to that.
1: No, no. I, I think Cheryl can do as Cheryl wished. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you, have, you have Cheryl as Barbara Howard, and then you have the um, South Philly uh, teacher, Melissa Schementi, who brings that like extremely stereotypical Italian South Philly vibe, which is... <sighs> Uh Played to great comic effect, but they don't just make her a goofy comedic character. They have someone else to do that who we'll talk about in a minute. but she is uh one of my favorite i mean I love them all, but she's one of my favorites because she is really funny and very much doing a bit of a shtick in terms of she clearly has some like friends in the mob and some family connections. But it she is human, and she gets her feelings hurt. And she actually has very interesting emotional plots that uh, e- even include a little romance with the vending machine guy. I love that.
1: Oh, so do I. And also, uh, fellow millennials may appreciate that Lisa Ann Walter, who plays plays Melissa Shmenti, um was Chessie in The Parent Trap, which is like, just one of those great throwaway roles. The one with Lindsay Lohan <laughs> playing the twins. Um, just, I think um, one of those people here would be like, I know, I know her. And then you see her and you're, oh my God, she was my childhood.
0: That that really takes me back.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that you can't beat this this ensemble.
0: No, you can't. They they really play off each other really well. And in a way that um, right out the gate in the first couple episodes, they feel like a tight ensemble. They, they mm-hmm. really get each other's beats and each other's rhythms on top of the rhythm of the mockumentary, which is its own rhythm that you have to be in sync with for the jokes to hit.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and thinking about other recent successful sitcoms, I mean, this does remind me a lot of those like Sure Verse shows. Those took a while to find their footing. The fact that this pilot is so strong is really. Um,
0: the Sure impressive. Verse, the Sure Verse. It took me a minute. I was like,
1: <laughs> Oh, sorry. <laughs>
0: I was like, sure, sure would? Like, is that where where uh, Robin Hood came from? I, uh, oh, Mike Sure, Mike Sure. Yes, the Mike, Mike Sureverse. Okay. The Sureverse. The
1: Office, Parks and Rec, um, The Good Place, and The Cop One.
0: And uh, the, the Cop One.
1: Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is wonderful.
0: There, The Sureverse is a wonderful place. And to be even in the realm of the Sureverse, it, I think it speaks volumes about the vibe of the show.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So you were hinting before about I believe that the magic of Chris Perfetti, is that...
0: I touched on the magic of Chris Perfetti, yes. he uh, Again, a character who is kind of a, a punching bag for jokes at times, and yet, wait, I did write a couple of my favorite lines down that they throw at him, and yet, I love him as a human being. But at the same time, you have to understand, this is a character who gets called Mr. Vampire Weekend, as a As an insult from one of his students, they also say he looks like he dreams in podcasts, and my favorite he uh, the kids don't say this to him, and I thought it was smart not to have an actual child say this line, but to have him repeat it later he had he tells us he tells us that one of his students called him a puff po reading gay Pete Buddha judge, which then chris perfetti's character says is insulting and repetitive. And then he goes, as if I'd read a word of the Huffington Post ever since Ariana stepped down. Which is the punchline on the punchline. It's the cherry on top of the cherry on the Sunday. I I rewatched that episode this morning and just squealed for joy. Because I too stopped reading the Huffington Post when Ariana stepped down. Of course, any self respecting gay Pete Buddha judge would. <laughs>
1: It's so great and I like you said they they do treat him with tenderness still without holding back on the satirical elements of him. I mean, he is the um trying too hard um politically correct white character who is always putting his foot in his mouth. Uh but it's never cruel the way that he's that he's portrayed.
0: No. Um, and like in in the example of that episode, he he's the B story in that episode. He's getting Uh, made fun of mercilessly by his students and he's trying to find a way to fight back but there's not much you can literally fight back to do you can't start insulting your own students and what he realizes with a little help from a person who he would like to think is is his friend but is really his his colleague is he he realizes he can use that in in teaching have somebody up there with like abraham lincoln's name on their head trying to guess who they are while everyone flings insults that are factually accurate
1: and it's not just that like you can't do that to students because, I mean, they're not, we don't always see them as perfect teachers. It's that he personally, his character oh, isn't capable of insulting couldn't. anyone. Correct. Um, he tries to insult them and just describes their uniforms. It's like, that's, that's not a burn. We are all wearing the same thing.
0: He is not my true favorite on this show. I think you're going to know who my true favorite character is on this show.
1: Is it the extraordinary Janelle James?
0: It's always the extraordinary Janelle James.
1: I mean, just a scene stealing, but also like plays off other people's comedic energy so, so well. Um, If there was an Ava spinoff, I I would
0: watch every episode. (laughs) Janelle James plays the principal of Abbott Elementary, Ava Coleman who we learn in one of the first few episodes got the job because she has dirt on the superintendent. She does not seek out a career in childhood education. She just wants to be in charge.
1: I love it. And you know what I love about her is that she is um, not only hilarious, but she is bad at her job and she is very flawed. And on this show that is so feel good, the fact that they are willing to have this person who um, embodies this selfishness and incompetence, but still with humanity, of course, because that's the tone of the show, um, that they're willing to go there, I think really gives it some comedic punch. And if they put this at a public school and just had everyone really, you know, um, sort of sanctimonious and perfect, it would be unwatchable. And I think she just really elevates the show to that next level. I mean, she's she's so good.
0: I agree. And it, and it adds an important element of the workplace comedy because in the workplace mm. comedy there has to be a coworker who drives you crazy and she is both the boss that drives you crazy and the coworker that drives you crazy, but she is not out to get anyone. There's a great example in the episode where they need to do their teacher wish lists because it's a public school mm. and this is a real thing. One of my coworkers today unprompted, was telling me about how their sister is constantly hitting them up for things on their teacher wish list at a public school here in New York. And and I I had not, I knew this was a real thing, but it hadn't occurred to me how literally it's happening all around us, that our schools are so underfunded, it is a completely run-of-the-mill thing to have your your sister's brother's teacher be like hey we need colored pencils and suddenly you're providing colored pencils for a classroom of children you've never met
1: it's too bad the teachers don't need these like robot police dogs that they've developed we have
0: a ton of those (laughs) hanging around that would really i'm sure they could learn something in stem with that that's what stem Mm -hmm. is right uh, but in the in the episode of Abbott Elementary where they're doing their wish list, Janine mm-hmm. is trying to make a, a TikTok video because she's heard people are getting a lot of success uh, with their wish lists on TikTok, and her TikTok video is truly pathetic. It is earnest. And she brings in an old-fashioned overhead projector, and rather than having, like, her name appear in text on the screen of the video, she has, like, written her name on the, like, see-through thing that they used to put on the overhead projector with the dry erase marker, and that is her her name above her. And she's trying to do this all with, like, practical elements in her video, which is just not how you TikTok. Uh, and she <laughs> turns to uh, Ava Coleman, Janelle James' character, because... As we learn quickly, what does Ava Coleman do at school? She makes TikToks. She has a green screen in her office. And so she helps her make an excellent TikTok that gets her everything on her wish list, which then sets up the rest of the episode where things do not maybe go the way Janine hoped, but that's a good comedy for you. The point is, uh, Ava Coleman actually is also an ally to these people, self-interested, self-motivated. But she's not out to get them.
1: She kind of reminds me of the um, Ted character on the Mary Tyler Moore Show. Actually, a lot of this show reminds me of the Mary Tyler Moore Show in some ways, because it's like that that classic workplace comedy where you have these different, you know, personality types working together. But it but it's really smart and um, you know subversive in its time.
0: I think that just speaks to the timeless structure. That they are doing smart sitcom structure with good, developed characters. And Mm -hmm. almost everything everyone does clearly comes from a place of character motivation. Nothing feels particularly forced or uh, unnatural. Even, Even goofy stuff like uh, Chris Perfetti's character trying to recycle or reuse a broken printer or fax machine, it's not really clear, that gets donated to them for their teacher wish lists. Nobody wanted this. Nobody asked for it. But of course, in a community, people hear you need things and they bring you their garbage. And so Mm -hmm. somebody brings them this broken printer slash copier item and everyone wants to throw it away. But Chris Perfetti picks that to be his hill to die on because we are so wasteful and we are so quick to throw things out when they could still be reused. And he spends an entire episode trying to turn it into anything, including a planter, before admitting that some things just need to be thrown out.
1: One other sitcom classic trope that this show has, um, like put up so far with a very light touch I would say um is uh will they won't they romance plot which I am a huge sucker for oh yes and I I really like that it is um hardly ever the a the a plot of the episode um
0: yeah and and you don't want it to be the a plot of the episode because then you're gonna go all like Jim Pam you need to do something or this is creepy and needs to end And so instead, you want it to be simmering in the background for as long as humanly possible.
1: So far, very successfully, I think.
0: And this is Um, the the last main character we haven't really gotten to yet, too. This is uh, Gregory Eddy, two first names, who is the substitute teacher who comes in in the first episode. And so he's kind of an outsider to the group, and they're all getting to know him.
1: Uh, Played by Tyler James Williams, who actually might be one of the the bigger names on the list. Yeah you know, um, folks might know him from Everybody Hates Chris.
0: He has the most expressive comedic face. He makes yeah. the most, in some ways, of the mockumentary cutaways and, and little looks because he has— there's a whole catalog of looks. There's looks when he just had a conversation with Janine and there was a little bit of spark, but then Janine brings up her boyfriend and and walks away and he gives that look to the camera, but then there's mm-hmm. the other look he gives when uh, the principal, Ava, comes in to his room, his classroom, unexpectedly, and, and makes some extremely explicit pass at him. I think she, she calls him her chocolate drop once. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone in the room just lets that wash over them, but his eyes let like, go full moon. And then there's the, the third kind, which is when uh, Chris Peretti's character ever acts like they are friends. Which is right. maybe my favorite of the three, because Chris Perfetti has just decided, like, here's the other young man teacher, somebody who is in his, like, late 20s, who is in the same point in his career as me. We are the only men teachers in this cast, really. And so we are friends now. <laughs> and <laughs> you, don't need, you don't need much to see that relationship and recognize it from your own workplace.
1: Oh no, and I also think that part of it for the Chris Perfetti character is that he would just love to have another black friend.
0: Yes, yes. <laughs> the
1: fact that this that the show is will, willing to go there and, and, and you know say that about him, it's like you know, I, refreshing, particularly for for network TV. Um, and the great thing, while well, you were saying he, the Tyler James Williams is so expressive. He's also a good straight man.
0: Yeah. You yeah, know, what's actually um, amazing about this performance is he's extremely funny and expressive while playing the straight man.
1: Yeah. It's kind of kind of a Jason Bateman quality.
0: Ooh, yeah. What a beautiful phrase, the Jason Bateman Jason. <laughs> what a, <laughs> can barely say it. What a beautiful phrase, the Jason Bateman quality. It could be an <laughs> index we could rank people on it.
1: And castability.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I feel like we've got a good lay of the land here. There was one episode I wanted to dig a little bit into the plot of, uh, especially in terms of structure, because I thought this was such a great example of classic sitcom structure that could go poorly if it's not well written. Uh, Mm -hmm. This episode's episode five, Transfer Student. Uh, And this one begins with what feels a little bit like a throwaway joke. They're in the teacher's lounge. Uh, Melissa Shimenti's having a very good day. Janine comes in, and there's something big happening on her computer that she and Chris Perfetti's character uh, are are very excited to look at, and they explain to everyone that there's basically teacher Yelp, like Rate My Professor, but for elementary school teachers. And uh, she always reads her new reviews aloud, which reeks of the overachieving earnestness of the year two teacher trying to change the world perfect mm-hmm. perfect and of course they go to read this uh new one out loud and it is a c grade she got a c from some anonymous reviewer because she doesn't have as much experience as the other second grade teacher who happens to be melissa Cimenti. and of course everyone in the room is like well, this is a fine review you you are a second year teacher you don't have as much experience as the other second grade teacher it's not a big deal but of course it has to become a big deal because this is a sitcom episode and so the episode becomes about a transfer student who is leaving melissa's class and coming into janine's class and janine thinks that it's because somehow she's been chosen over melissa that this student wanted to be in janine's class because she likes janine better and repeatedly ava and melissa offer to give Janine advice about this student, how to handle this student and it begins with an offer to show uh, Janine her file and then Melissa says hey you, you, you know, you might want some, some advice on Courtney and at each step Janine says no 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 she likes me I've got this I know what I'm doing and that's why she wants to come be in my class uh, which includes maybe my favorite line from Ava Coleman of which I have many lines written down uh when janine refuses the file ava says that's an adorable spin on choosing to be unprepared (laughs) which also again is why i love ava coleman so much because again she doesn't want janine to fail but if janine's not going to take her help now all right honey you're setting yourself up for this yeah it turns out that uh courtney is a nightmare in class uh she is super disruptive she only wanted to leave Melissa Shimenti's class because Melissa Shimenti had begun to catch on to her uh, strategies and she was looking for fresh meat, a new class to disrupt. And Melissa's not going to stop her because it's a weight off her shoulders. And so this leads to the part of this episode I kind of wanted to talk to you about. The other faculty, led by Ava, because of course this is led by Ava, all take bets on whether uh, Courtney, will break Janine.
1: I love that, that that element of the plot was introduced almost right at the midpoint of the episode. Yes. So like, oh, you think that your A-plot is going in one direction and then they're adding this additional layer, which is really uh, kind of right where we need things to grow a little more interesting you know yeah
0: and it ups the stakes for janine because she finds out about it of course and she takes that as like a doubling down of the challenge every you know she takes it as everyone's betting against me what she doesn't realize is that everyone's betting for or against her and the crux of this episode is you know her crisis of confidence essentially sparked at the beginning causes her to be overconfident in her skills and not seek help from her friends and colleagues Right. A lesson she With, does learn by the end of the episode.
1: She does, but we still get the feeling that like she's going to make this mistake again.
0: again. Oh, 100%. 100%. But she does learn at the end of the episode that not everyone voted a bet against her. Uh, in fact, she was thrilled to discover that barbara howard bet for her because there's a clear desiring barbara howard to be her mentor barbara howard is the old teacher who has been doing this for decades who just can make her class line up in a heartbeat and they are perfectly behaved always and so you know janine wants to be her and when janine thinks that barbara howard's betting against her she takes that extremely personally
1: Mm. And I think, too, at the beginning when Melissa is sort of ribbing her about the bad review, part of what adds to that sting is that Miss Howard is there. Yeah. You know, um, so it's not just that she's gotten this bad review. There's just always that extra element of layering.
0: Yeah. And then it all comes back at the end when... Uh, Janine and uh, Melissa Chimenti have to share a classroom temporarily because Courtney writes what I assume is an F-bomb on the uh, dry erase board in permanent marker and that leads that leads them to have to work together while trying to control Courtney and Janine accuses uh, Melissa Chimenti of setting her up for failure To which Melissa Shimenti points out, Janine refused her help and insulted Melissa as a teacher. Said said to her face, clearly Courtney thinks I'm a better teacher than you. Mm -hmm. And while everyone was, you know, ribbing uh, Janine for her overconfidence, nobody told her she's a bad teacher because she's not. And these people ultimately have each other's backs.
1: Right. Yeah, and none of them are bad teachers, which is what makes this, like, hard setting still watchable yeah um so it sounds like a little bit saccharine too when you just break down the plot that way like oh but really we're all on one team together um but it's a very funny episode
0: Yes, and and in general, if you've been listening to our review and are gushing and you just think the dark world around us has broken us down and we just want a ray of sunshine in our lives, you might not be wrong. But, but, I want to read you a couple more excellent one-liners from Ava Coleman that will remind you that, no, 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 this show is hilarious. Um, uh, When they are talking about uh, the performance of one of these TikToks, uh, she says, these are only fans' numbers, I usually have to show feet. This is an ABC network sitcom that your parents are watching where they make a joke about OnlyFans and foot fetishes. And that, oh, so good. So good. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also, in uh, the episode about the transfer student, she has all of the records for all of the students. They're like permanent records. She has them arranged by hottest dad. Which is how we know Courtney's Amazing. dad is a nine out of ten.
1: Nine out of ten. Oh, it's so good. Hopefully he'll come back as a character.
0: Ah, uh, truly. <laughs>
1: uh, I think too, I mean so so we discussed the the bet trope in T V sitcoms. Yes. And um how hard it is to do well. And I realized that like um several of my favorite episodes of TV have been bets, But having said that, you know, it's something that has been done before, which is why I think this doesn't just carry, you know, elements of like uh, these contemporary workplace comedies, something like The Office, which obviously I think is an easy analog for the show, but um, also of things like Seinfeld, you know, where you have um, a, a cast of characters uh, betting against each other that are that are willing to get a little bit ugly and aren't you know perfect Ted lasso people
0: yeah, and where the the things they bet on the the nature of the bet grows out of the relationship dynamic that the characters have it yeah. grows out of a piece of the plot instead of the bet being the whole plot. I think when you point out that the bet in in this episode of Abbott comes up halfway through the episode, that's really key. If the episode just began with, we're betting on whether or not Janine is going to get broken by this new transfer student that showed up, you'd you'd have less stakes. But instead, we get there through the process of seeing Janine's pride get wounded, seeing Janine and Melissa have a bit of tension, seeing Janine be overconfident about taking on this student from Melissa's class. Okay, now we have the stakes for the bet. And that makes the bet more satisfying and also helps it raise the stakes of the main story.
1: And I think that also these sorts of plot setups, um, they give us a lot of space for these relationships to grow, which is one thing that I'm excited to keep watching about, that there, there is tension among them, but they're also not coming in as all being best friends or a family or something like that, there is still some distance between them. They are still getting to know each other. Um, and so with with that aspect of it, I think uh, the like levels of humor and the levels of drama can continue to escalate throughout the series in a way that will be satisfying if if they pull it off.
0: And And I'm hoping they pull it off. I got a good feeling about this.
1: I am, too. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm optimistic.
0: As we said, this is a show you can watch right now. This is Abbott Elementary airing on a network Tuesdays on ABC, Tuesdays at 9 Eastern, and, of course, streaming next day on Hulu because that's the game, ladies and gentlemen, next day on Hulu. The whole mm-hmm. Disney bundle universe is here for you.
1: Amazing. And, oh, we didn't talk about the numbers.
0: Ah, I missed the entire top line. How do we know this show is popular? How do we know people are watching it? I'm so <laughs> glad you reminded me that we're not the only people watching this show. Uh, and and it's catching on quickly, I think. The show premiered in December, and uh, we got mm-hmm. some numbers from Deadline. Uh, in December, it started with a 0.6 rating in the 18 to 49 demo, the key demo, uh, and two point, almost 2.8 million total viewers, which is a... a modest not terrible in the era of Seinfeld that you would have been cancelled before the end of the episode if those were your ratings because that was the 90s and everything was different now you can have a good opening with a .6 rating in primetime but you can have a great next 35 days, it turns out, because, of course, uh, the way they do ratings, there's some metric te- that's pegged specifically to 35 days. Sure, sure, 35 days after it airs. Uh, in the 35 days of viewing across both ABC's uh, you know, network, including, I suppose, some kind of reruns or on-demand, and streaming on Hulu, the show quadrupled its rating, Uh, to a 2.4 in the uh, core demo and then a total of 7.1 million overall that is impressive growth and I think shows the snowball effect of you know I didn't watch the first episode until after maybe three weeks or four weeks after the show premiered I had a friend who lives in uh, Detroit and his wife works in a school there and and he recommended it to me because she loves it and feels like it's really funny but true and so then I watched it, and I went, it's really funny, and I'm told it's
1: true. I, I think that part of that popularity, beyond just being funny, and put, likely true, sources tell us true, mm. is uh, that I think that kids could watch it,
0: uh, it. It is good. Grandparents
1: could watch it, you know. Good
0: primetime fare. You could put it on with Grandma, Grandpa, and little Billy and Jesse all in the living room together, and... Uh, Grandma and Grandpa won't get the OnlyFans joke. And little Billy and Jesse won't get the, like, local weatherman joke. And that's okay. There's, like, jokes for all layers of the family.
1: And enough of them that everyone will leave satisfied.
0: Yeah, the joke joke per minute uh, numbers. They're good. I love it. Well, there you have it, folks. A show we both love.
1: You know, I I feel like we we need something that's, like, that we really fight about. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, we, we're, we're on the hunt for a show that we divides do. us. And if you, dear listener, think that you know a show that divides us, you should uh, like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and say so in your review. Recommend a show in your review, in your five-star, five-star review. Or you can tweet at us on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at I am Chris Barlow.
1: I'm on Twitter at Diane Nora. That's Diane with two Ns.
0: That's fantastic. And, you know, before we go, uh, we have a minute. I wanted to know, is there another show that you are super excited for uh, coming up this week or that you're watching right now?
1: Yeah, um, I've been watching uh, Somebody Somewhere, uh, which is an HBO show. I've been watching it on HBO Max. And uh, it just got uh, renewed for a second season.
0: That's the Bridget Everett uh, show, right?
1: Yeah, it is. It's uh, Bridget Everett and Jeff Hiller. Um, it's really lovely. Um queer, got some musicals it's it's weird, it's not really like any other shows that I've seen and um, I'm pretty excited about it. I would, I would recommend it.
0: Okay, okay I'm into and that. You? Uh, right now I am deep into season two of The Righteous Gemstones on HBO, which I'm watching on HBO Max, and I am loving that show. I loved the first season and I came in a little skeptical because I-, I wasn't a big fan of like uh, Eastbound and Down, Danny McBride's previous show
1: I love Eastbound and Down, maybe but I Maybe I, I
0: need to go back. Maybe this was my gateway drug to the, the Danny McBride verse, and it's time for me to go deep.
1: It's, uh, I mean, it, it's uh, body humor, but I think he does it well.
0: That's the secret, as he does. And this new season has really done a great job of uh, developing the characters and mm. introducing a new... I don't want to say too much because we didn't give a spoiler alert for that show. So we'll just say not necessarily like a new villain, but a new crisis. Uh, and it doesn't feel forced uh, after the first episode. The beginning of the season feels like they're setting a lot up. But that that's fine by me because if you play it through well, you've created a great arc for me to go on the ride. And the characters are developing really well through it. Uh, so once again, it's hilarious, but the characters feel really great. Great! I just cannot sing the praises of that show
1: enough. Wow. So I would say Eastbound and Down, the characters don't feel super real. Like it, it feels jokey and funny, but it's not driven by character really. Well, so what, I think
0: what's fun about Righteous Gemstones is they are jokey and occasionally over the top characters. In fact, mm. s- sometimes frequently over the top. But the longer you're living with them, the more real they're settling into being. They're they're uh, they're definitely heightened but they are developing into more clearly motivated, interesting characters. Uh, and, and that's a fun balance to have these really over-the-top, almost comedia-like beats from people who are becoming human beings at the same time.
1: Oh, I might have to dive back into that one.
0: And John Goodman. Ugh,
1: wonderful. Treasure.
0: And we treasure you, dear listener. <laughs> you can be our treasure when you join us for another episode of Streamageddon.